Hi, this is Jeff Stone of Grandpa's Fried Barbecue from the Panhandle of Florida, and you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Start the game! Let's go! We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. This is a show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling, originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday night's fun and frivolity show. I'm here, both ears. We'll get into that here in a second. Do you want to jump in on the show this evening? Here's how you do that. You can get in touch with the show by calling 216-220-0966. Email Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. On the Twitter and Instagram, said BBQ Central Show. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, the BBQCentralShow.com. And here's what's happening. Coming up in about 12 minutes from now, it is the first Tuesday of a month, and you know that usually brings a visit from Malcolm Reed. However, nearly hours ago, Malcolm and I communicated, and he said, hey, I'm just hunting in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, assuming he's hunting in Mississippi. Maybe he goes to some other state to hunt. I'm not a hunter. I don't know anything about hunting or how all of that goes down other than it's probably for deer. He probably has firearms and he's in a blind or a shade or something along these lines, maybe in a tree. And he's waiting for the next best doe or buck to show up and shoot. But he's just not anywhere that A, was going to provide any type of internet access for video chat like we would normally do. Secondarily, really doesn't have any ability for phone either. I said, hey, we don't have to do video. We can just do phone. I have plenty of sexy pictures of you anyway. I can throw that up on the video side. No problem. We can do it via the phone. And he said, I, I would actually have to probably get in the car and drive for a bit in order to start picking up bars of reception. And I said, you know what? Uh, I don't know about that. And then his uh, wife, Rochelle, emailed me and said, Malcolm's out. And I quickly turned, I mean, I have been chasing Rochelle Reed probably for well over a year. I've tried to put Malcolm in tight spots where I know he would have to back out, where I could then backdoor my way into asking Rochelle to come in and be a guest on the show. I would love to get her on the show and interview her being the other side of how to barbecue right. 
been talking to her about the competition stuff, too, that she's been a part of. But I'm really fascinated by the production side and what she brings to the table. And admittedly, through podcast after podcast that I listen to each and every week, she says, I'm more behind the scenes person. I don't want to be the upfront. So I tried really hard to land her this evening. And after five attempts of hard closing, she graciously backed out. So we'll keep trying because the best interviews always come after years of efforting to be on the show. But as luck would have it, I said, you know what? I'm going to throw caution to the wind and see if I can't get a hold of somebody that I want to talk to about positive barbecue stuff. So I lobbed a phone call or a quick text to Sterling Ball. He's got a toothache. He's down for the count. He can't do it. Well, quickly, I'm striking out. And then I threw ultimate caution to the wind and said it was tough when I screwed George Motes. I totally blew the booking to have him on, talk about how he got into the Barbecue Central Show's Guest Hall of Fame, talk about some new stuff that he has going on. I'll just toss it out there, thinking 2% chance. And he wrote back within 10 minutes, you just caught me on a good night. And we're able to put it together. So the long way to go. To tell you in about nine minutes from now, George Motes, the hamburger king of the universe, will be on the show. And we'll talk to George and see how his life has changed since September, getting into the Barbecue Central Show Guest Hall of Fame. And then we will move to 35 Past. If you are a fan of the L.A. food scene and pop-ups especially, we talked to Rodney Scott a couple weeks ago about pop-ups. That'll make its way into the conversation as well. But I have since had a growing fascination with these pop-ups. Not new to me. I've heard of them. But to see how they operate and the success that they bring and all this other stuff. One of the premier new pop-up businesses to the scene out there on the West Coast and perhaps across the country going by the name of Bad Jew. Rebecca King will be joining me. You should follow her on the socials, The Bad Jew. Watch her on Instagram. Those sandwiches are absolutely knockout. And she's a Buckeye. So she actually grew up and went to high school in Orange, which is a suburb of Cleveland and used to be in our old athletic conference when I went to high school 100 years ago. I went to Kenston. She went to Orange High School. We summarily slapped those punks around on the regs. I don't know how that looks at now, but nevertheless... We'll have Rebecca on and see why she left the Buckeye State. I mean, why does anybody leave the Buckeye State? Because they can. They don't want to. They can. And then we'll talk about the bad Jew and that whole deal. Second hour, of course, first Tuesday of the month brings a visit from Sam, the cooking guy. And boy, do I have an outline to get to with him. And I'm not even going to mention it because chances are... We will be talking about something completely unrelated to whatever I think I want to talk about with Sam. So there you have it. George Motes, the American and perhaps world barbecue expert, Rebecca King, the bad Jew, and Sam, the cooking guy, who coincidentally also bills himself as a bad Jew, just not in the same way. Don't forget, you can follow me socially at BBQ Central Show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and the Snappers. Facebook and Twitch slash BBQ Central Show where there's a live video feed. Also slash RD Rempy on the YouTubes. 
If you want a video feed there, we have a pretty active chat going on at YouTube right now. Also on Facebook, I can see it all. And we'll, from time to time, flash some stuff up if I am so interested. You know, I had a huge opening take, but that got scrapped after I got this email Sunday night. And it goes a little something like this. Greg, love your show. Long-time listener. First time contacting you. I was just taking in the second hour of last week's show. Love the embedded correspondence. But I believe they are generally wrong regarding Nickelback. What? He said, I believe they are generally wrong when it comes to Nickelback. I think uh, you could have just stopped it. I think they are generally wrong. <laughs> I'm right. They are. Ge- I'm from British Columbia, Canada, the same province, uh, the same province that Nickelback resides. I've seen them in concert twice. They put on a hell of a show. And yes, I have seen some of the most prolific acts in concert, i.e. Rolling Stones, Aerosmith, Kiss, Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, etc. I'm also a musician, an apprenticing pitmaster in my spare time. I have two Weber Smoky Mountain cookers on my patio. Well, I can agree with Doug's comment about some of their songs sounding the same. Seeing them live is something that should be taken advantage of, should the opportunity present itself. You will be impressed by the live presentation. By the way, Greg, I completely agree that you should sing a Nickelback tune for the next Barbecue Central singing contest. Clearly, you would be victorious, and anyone who disagrees is clearly incorrect. Appreciate all the hard work you do. Cecil Shevel Dave in Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada. Thank you, Cecil. Did I say your last name right, Cecil? Cecil Shevel Dave? Is it Shevel Davey? I don't know. But the most important part, if we can recap quickly, is that uh, A, the embedded correspondence, all of them, John, Rusty, and Douglas, are generally wrong regarding Nickelback. I would say all the way wrong because they hate it all over Nickelback. And as I said, if you have seen them live, I don't know how you could go out of your way to say they are a band of bags. And Cecil obviously knows what he's talking about. He is obviously a talented musician. He has an eye to recognize talent and sees that as it relates to Nickelback. It's like some unwritten rule that if you're a dude, you have to hate Nickelback. Has anybody seen the live performance at Sturgis where all of the men are? Sturgis. Women are whipping off their tops. If they were a bunch of bags, they would get beat up at Sturgis. Instead, they were offered up three and four different encores. Come on, man. They are awesome. I'm going on record. Nickelback, awesome. If you don't like it, suck it. All right, so we have George Motes coming up out of the break. We'll get him locked and loaded. I'll talk to you quickly about Pits and Spits, handcrafting smokers and grills in Houston, Texas, since 1983. Setting itself apart with the use of heavy 7- and 10-gauge steel in every cooker, fully welded construction that you can feel and a 304 stainless roll-top lid and a front shelf on every cooker. By using high-quality materials, Pits and Spits 
Reach and maintain temperatures, allowing you to worry more about the meat than the heat. By providing a fully welded smoker, you don't have to worry about grease or smoke leaking out of the barrel or that the grill's going to rattle apart as you move it through the backyard. And by using 304 Stainless, you're getting an heirloom quality product that you could pass down. Now, a bunch of meaningless underdwellers in the price world want you to focus on just price, but Pits and Spits is focusing on craftsmanship and quality materials. They can do it cheaper, but they don't like tack welds and cheap stainless and electronics that you can't trust. Having in-house manufacturing gives them complete control of the design and standards. That's not something you find elsewhere. Their steel suppliers supply material to be used in some of the harshest environments, so you know they're going to perform in any and all conditions, like today in Cleveland when it's snowing to beat the band. Their controllers are made right here in the U.S., so they have unimpeded transparency into the program. Give them a call, 844-650-6250, 844-650-6250. Whether you're a backyard grill master looking to cook steaks for the family or a competitor looking to cook 50 racks of ribs, Pits and Spits is a product for you. You can check them out at their website, pitsandspits.com, all spelled out. Or you can see their pits in the wild across all social media handles at Pits and Spits. Once again, all spelled out. Come on, let's go. We have George Moat getting ready to make his second appearance on this show. And now a Barbecue Central Show guest Hall of Famer to boot. Life-changing without a doubt. We'll see how that's affected him. When we come back, stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Hey, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Butcher's Barbecue, makers of award-winning injections, marinades, rubs, seasonings, barbecue sauces, grilling oils. All of Butcher Barbecue products have been tested on the competition circuit as well as backyards worldwide. Be the pitmaster of your neighborhood and visit ButcherBBQ.com to stock up right now. Always trust your butcher. All right, my first guest tonight, the burger man of this and any universe and Emmy award-winning filmmaker, founder of the Food Film Festival, author of the travel guide Hamburger America, the great American burger book, hailed by New York Times as being the leading authority on hamburgers. But forget all that. This year he gained his crowning achievement by being voted into the Barbecue Central Show Guest Hall of Fame a few months ago, here to talk about how his life has improved dramatically because of this honor is certainly none other than George Motes. Hey, George. Hey, how you doing? George, I <laughs> want to, first of all, thank you for jumping on literally with only hours to spare before we went live. <laughs> uh, I had you locked down the first time. I screwed the pooch on that whole scheduling thing, so I apologize for that. But as fate would have no it, problem. I found you tonight. You had a couple minutes to jump on. So let's get right into the meat here. In September, you were part of the Guest Hall of Fame inductions of 2020. Now, other inductees I mean, have 
regaled me with their life-changing tales after they've made it in. I assume your life has been a pretty pretty noticeable shift in awesomeness since you've gotten the news. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had to wear uh, costumes when I go to the supermarket now, and uh, people definitely recognize me every yes, day, every yes. day because of it. All Thank right, you. well, we're always Thanks. trying to uh, you know bring <laughs> even more fame and adulation than my guests uh, would typically get when they cross that threshold into the Hall of Fame. Is this the first time you're uh, in any type of Hall of Fame, or is this old hat at this point? It's. I would say it's not. It's definitely not the first time, but I wouldn't say it's old hat. It, it just never gets old. It right. never gets old. So thank you very much. I appreciate the honor. I yeah. am honored, really. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, you had you made it through a, a very arduous task of the embedded correspondence and I, you know, really deliberating Amazing. through some of the who's who in the live fire industry, and uh, you are in Excellent. for twenty twenty. So uh, checks in the mail, shirts, limousine rides, all that stuff after COVID goes away, and uh, <laughs> and we'll go from there. So let's go ahead and uh, recap Thanksgiving, George. It was last Thursday, obviously, and uh, like yes. most folks, it looked like you. Uh, kept it fairly low-key, but what did it look like over in the most residence? Well, I'm not sure if you followed what was going on on Instagram, but um, I did something that I promised I would never do again because it's too much work and it's too expensive. But, you know, time went by and I realized, you know, I can do this again. Why not? I did a, uh, I, I spit roasted or I rotisserie cooked a 21-pound turkey um, for eight hours 20, over, over cold. 21 pound? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> for, for nine people. Now, <laughs> so, you said you would never do it again because 21 pounds was just a large physical and time activity, or was there a end product that you weren't too jazzed about? What was the deal there? The only reason I did it again was because of the end product. Everything else, like oh. I would, <laughs> other than the actual standing around drinking beer with my friends, uh, which is exactly what we did uh, outside, which is great to be able to smell the smoke and drink beer. But um, uh, I would say everything else leading up to it. it was We did a five-day dry brine. Wow. I had to borrow a friend's refrigerator. She has a commercial kitchen. I borrowed her a commercial refrigerator to, to store the bird for four days covered, one day uncovered to crisp up the skin. Uh, we ended up, I, I borrowed a, a spit rotisserie from another friend of mine. Uh, it was a lot of work. It's just so much work. And the bird itself, I, I bought a special bird uh, from a poultry farm out on Long Island. So it was a very expensive bird. I think it was $6 a pound. Oh, <laughs> Incredible. But, you know, at the end, it was worth it because it, it tastes so good. There's honestly nothing like a turkey that has been rotisserie cooked in its own juices, basically, mm-hmm. uh, spinning around for, for eight hours. All right. So let me dig into the whole process a little bit. Um, when you talk about $6 a pound for turkey, is that the, uh, I guess, what would be akin to a heritage breed hog? Is it a heritage breed turkey to some degree then? Exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a small family farm out in Long Island called Malofsky's. And they, I mean, every, every year, the Saturday before Thanksgiving, they have a line out the door. And if you get there early, you can get the bird of your choice. If you get there late, which late means nine o'clock in the morning, that's late. Huh. You are stuck with something that's over 17 pounds. Wow, <laughs> so, but I was fine because I usually go for a much bigger one year. What we, uh, the first year we did it two years ago, I went for a 30 pound uh, turkey, but they actually had a 45 pound turkey on, on the, on the um, yeah, 45 pounds. Incredible. That was the biggest one they had. I don't think anybody bought it. Is there a really discernible flavor difference? I remember talking with uh, Jeremy Yamansky, who owns Larder Delicatessen out here in Cleveland, who's well known for uh, koji and fermenting and all this other stuff. But he told me last year, before all this you know crap hit this year, uh, that if, if I had occasion to get out to one of those heritage breed 
uh, farms here in the local Cleveland area that I should definitely go out and get it because it would definitely cost more, but the flavor would be way more rewarding that you're going to get in a honeysuckle or a butterball. Do you find that to be the, the same? Absolutely, for sure. There's no question about it. It is a much bigger difference because it's almost as if the, I mean, these, these heritage breed turkeys have names. I mean, they name them when they're out there. They, they actually identify them by, usually by numbers, but yeah, they're identifiable and they, they have a singular purpose. They're, they're raised well and they're raised well so they can go on, on your Thanksgiving table. It's incredible. And it really, there's, there's something about when you take out the, um, the commercial aspect of it, the, the truly like the, the large scale commercial aspect and industry size, commercial aspect of it. It really, it, it makes for a much better turkey for sure. There's no question about it. Also the way I cook the turkey, the fact that it's, it's spinning around and it, when you rotisserie cook, obviously, as you know, uh, the fats try to drip off and they never get to drip off. They just keep, they stay in this, <laughs> this perpetual motion where they can't leave the turkey. <laughs> uh, dry brining for that many days. What's the process and what are you using specifically? So I believe, I think I may have dry brined a, a day or two too long. You're supposed to dry brine for a day or I think it's one or two days. We did five days only because I just couldn't get back to the burden. <laughs> um, but it was fine. It was actually okay. And dry brining for, uh, for us was a combination of salt, ground pepper. Um, and I think that was it actually, just salt and ground pepper is all I did. And then, um, I uh, put the, my mother and I, my mother was, was a huge help, obviously, and all this stuff. And the two of us, you know, massaged the turkey underneath the skin with this salt pepper mix. Uh, and then we also shoved um, uh, slices of uh, garlic up under the skin, as well as uh, some fresh uh, sage leaves. Uh, now, when you're rotisserieing, uh, rotisserieing, maybe that's the right word? Uh, is it uh, just charcoal? And are you using like briquettes or you use lump? Do you use a mix? And are you using any wood chunks? Yeah, I actually I used uh, briquettes. Uh, I've used lump in the in the past, and it just it doesn't it, it burns too hot actually, and uh, doesn't burn long enough. Uh, I mean, you actually have a you know like a factory made uh, briquette. I think it actually it, it works a little better. And also, I don't know what you know what's going on. Well, you probably you know this. You're you're the, you're the barbecue guy. Um, I think the briquettes have gotten a lot better, and even like the last five years. Am I wrong? Uh, something something is going on in the world of briquettes where they've really gotten I think better. They've become uh, smokier. There's actually, I think there's pieces of like, you know, wood in there as well, <laughs> not just charcoal. I think there's wood in there, which actually makes for smoke. And then at the end, um, do you guys, all nine of you end up consuming the bird or do you have uh, quite a bit of leftovers where you can start having fun with whatever new recipe you want to give a try? Exactly. There's a lot left over this time with a 21 pound turkey and nine people. It was, there's a lot of leftover. Uh, and one thing we do for sure is I take the, the turkey legs and the dark meat of the thighs and a friend of mine in uh, New York City has a restaurant, and he would do this thing where he would make this, make this dark meat turkey hash or turkey leg hash. He would basically uh, braise the uh, dark meat uh, with some, you know, with some spices, and then shred the dark meat mm -hmm. and separate it from the bones and all that, and then actually make this incredible hash, incredible hash, good on it, good on, good on it. It's almost like pulled pork, but turkey hash style. Oh, it sounds absolutely delicious. We're talking with George Motes. You can find him at georgemotes.com. That's M-O-T-Z, georgemotes.com. One of the other things that I saw recently was, and I, it, to me it looked pretty recent, but uh, you can tell me if it is or not, poached egg burger. You're the burger guy. I've seen burgers in every form and fashion have a, uh, a sunny side up egg or a over easy <laughs> egg. So, you know, you get the bite or maybe you push it down or maybe you cut it so you have the quote unquote yolk porn happening. But this was the first time yeah. I had seen a poached egg on a burger before. 
poached. I don't think I did a poached egg. We we actually did a fried egg. The, we did a Malaysian burger. We actually take the patty and put it into uh, basically an omelet and, and wrap it up. It's almost like an egg wrapped burger. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, we've done a, we've done. A, I mean, also, there's also the the Hawaiian loco moco burger, which is a bed of rice, and on top of the bed of rice is a burger. On top of the burger is a uh, fried egg, and then it's, it's drizzled with uh, with brown gravy. I mean, in the end, is there just a limitless amount of burgers that you can make? I mean, there, there's no end. I would say there's no end, but there has to be an end sometimes. Sometimes you have to, you know, you deal with reality. Well, uh, you deal with things like the size of your mouth. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I guess you fit in there. Are there ever any? Just because there's a, a burger patty around it, like, can it get out of confines, or as long as? There are some rudimentary makings of a burger. Can one call it a burger? Do we not really care to, you know, keep it inside of a box that much? I think, well, it's good to think outside the box, but when you do, it's better to uh, keep the ingredient lists uh, short. Um, I usually say that if you if you have competing flavors in a burger, you're going to cancel. They're going to cancel each other out. Yeah. It's not going to taste quite right. Or if you have too many uh, flavors in a burger, you're also going to cause a problem where you just you can't taste the bur- the beef itself. So I've always said if you have the beef itself, it's fine. Uh, obviously, then you can add to that maybe a slice of cheese, some kind of a sauce, maybe one other ingredient, maybe two. But I think once you get beyond three ingredients on top of the burger, you're dealing with a problem. Is ketchup a a little kid's topping on a burger? Is that something you kind of turn your nose up at? Well, it's funny you said that. I'm not sure why you said that, but it's true. Uh, it was, <laughs> we believe, looking at history, that it may have been introduced by some of the bigger burger chains like McDonald's and some other West Coast chains. We're introducing uh, ketchup on burgers so that the next generation of burger lovers, children, would enjoy burgers more. It would become more palatable in a way because that sweet sauce on it. Oh dear. So am I, <laughs> but I, like I a, agree, yeah. am, am I an immature burger eater? Because, I mean, I, I like ketchup quite a bit. Pretty much on like a lot of stuff. Not on everything, but I don't mind a, a, a good lathering of ketchup on a burger sometimes. A ketchup is good. I like to be able to mix ketchup on a sauce. Not just ketchup on its own, I think, is a problem. I think you really, it's hard to enjoy the burger. There's so much sugar in there that it's hard to enjoy the flavor of the beef. I'd rather have a beef and cheese than I would uh, ketchup at all. Let me ask you uh, specifically about uh, patty melts. I see them on menus. Uh, I don't real. I've never really gotten to know them too well. But are there things that definitely have to make up a true patty melt? And like, what are some of your favorites? So the traditional patty melt it comes from California. It was actually, I mean, we've traced the history and the roots back to California, Southern California, right. and it's, it's, it's specifically. It's a, obviously a cooked burger patty that is slipped onto um, uh, a rye bread, rye bread with Swiss cheese, <laughs> wow. um, and that's that's it. And it's served, I think, with maybe Russian dressing. I'm not sure. Maybe I think, it, but that's that's the, the basic <laughs> basics. The basics of the patty milk are just the beef itself, Swiss cheese, and uh, rye bread. Now, I'm not a big fan of any of that. <laughs> Uh, I actually grew up with a different type, type of patty melt. I grew up with the patty melt we, we like to call mom forgot to get buns patty melt, which yeah. basically means you take a burger patty, you put it inside of a grilled cheese, and then you have, you have the, the mom's favorite patty melt. <laughs> so when I see it like laden with all these fried onions and uh, you know some of this other stuff, and then they have bread on the outside, that's not necessarily uh, an akin back to an older time. 
You, I'm sorry, you actually, that was the one I was missing. It does include uh, grilled onions. There are, there is, there are onions and Swiss cheese and rye bread on a traditional patty melt. So you can put onions in. I, I believe that's the one, <laughs> one condiment you actually could and should put inside of just about any burger, but for sure inside of a patty melt. It almost sounds like it wants to be a Reuben to some degree. I mean, if you have Swiss cheese, obviously the meat's different, but you have Swiss cheese. And- yeah. Uh, you have uh, a potentially a, a Russian or a, a you know some some Thousand Island kind of dressing. The rye bread, uh, you know that that's almost akin to a, a Reuben or at least yeah. the start of a Reuben. Which I also believe was also invented in California. <laughs> so I'm sure they happened sort of at the same time, right? Probably did. Um, but most patty milk, I mean, are that I've seen really just include regular you know good old bread. Uh, with uh, American cheese, <laughs> or sometimes Swiss cheese, or sometimes cheddar, unfortunately, um, and served very simply. You know, I have seen you go nuts these last number of months doing the George Moats smash burgers. There appears to be a wood slide coming out of your residence uh, to stay socially <laughs> distant. So, is, I mean, did it start where you just wanted to, you know, stay busy, provide some good smash burgers for some folks? Because you're obviously world famous for that onion smash burger thing that you do. Uh, but I've seen them happening like almost more and more regularly. So what's the concept there? So the idea was that right whenever we, uh, there was, it was announced that it was a national emergency on, on uh, Friday the 13th, Friday, March 13th, um, I started to get uh, emails and text from uh, clients of mine all over the world saying that all of our, our events have been canceled or postponed. They say they get saying, Oh, it's been postponed. Yep. Well, to me, that's probably a cancellation. I ended up losing 15 events in the span of um, a week that actually made up four months of events all over the world, Stockholm, uh, Copenhagen, LA, Argentina. And we were even going to do the uh, George Moats burger festival in, in Tokyo. The first, the first annual George Moats burger festival in Tokyo. And that was obviously postponed or as far as I'm concerned, canceled. <laughs> Uh, so my first thought was I need to get have find I need to find some way to get burgers to the people. The people need burgers. Yes. And we came yeah, we came up with the idea. We, we ripped apart a piece of my closet, this six foot socially distant six foot piece of wood, and put rails on the side of it. And we stuck it out my window. I sold tickets online. Uh, and the idea is you could you could, you could log into the uh, website and you could buy a you know a double at two p.m. and you walked into my window and at exactly two p.m. the window would open up and my son or daughter would slide a burger down the slide. <laughs> <laughs> it was socially distant and perfect. And it's been, it appears to be gaining more and more steam through each passing. It, so, yeah, what happened was we, I did it a few times at my house back in March and April, and it became a little bit too popular. People would walk by when we weren't doing a slide, they would say, oh, aren't you the burger guy? Isn't this the burger house? And I would say, no. <laughs> <laughs> just looks like the burger I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like him. It's just like him. Nope, not me. <laughs> So we actually decided to start partnering with restaurants and bars, uh, friends of mine, all over, all over Brooklyn and, and Manhattan. Even went as far as we went to Jersey a few times to do a pop-up in, in Jersey. Um, and we started doing them once a week. We did them once a week all through the uh, summer. Uh, and right up until about a week ago, we stopped doing them right before Thanksgiving. That we just announced we were doing two more, uh, one in Brooklyn next week, and then one in Manhattan the week after. So, because people, people have been clamoring for the burger slide, which I'm very excited about. Uh, last time you were on, George, you were sold out, I think, of the uh, Smashula or whatever the the uh, the cool name was. Uh, is that that's it? Is that back in stock, or what's the status on that for the uh, people looking to buy live fire gifts for their loved ones? I'm sure this would fit the bill. This you that your timing is amazing. 
Uh, the Smashville is about to be back in stock uh, very soon. I'm said we actually we're going to make an announcement probably in about a week. Okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> feeling that we're going to sell out. We've been trying to get through a, a wait list of about 278 people uh, that wanted it, and what we're um, we're actually I'm done with the wait list as of tomorrow, uh, and then we started we opened it up to international sales, and then from there we open it up to everybody for for public. All right, so consumption. we go to georgemotes.com in order to keep tabs on that then, or is there somewhere else? That, that's it. That's the best way. That and Instagram. And my Motesburger Instagram is probably the best way to get up-to-date news. But, but the website is also very accurate. All right. So there you have it. He is our burger expert for the Barbecue Central Show. He is a Barbecue Central Show guest hall of famer and providing burgers for everybody in the New York City area, at least uh, for two more times. Before the year ends, it's George Motes. George, appreciate you jumping on last minute here and talking with me this evening. Continued success, and we'll do it again soon. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun. You got it. There he is, George Motes, right there. Holy moly. 21-pound turkey. (laughs) Man, I remember back in the day, back in the day, I think mom's had like a 25-pound turkey when we were doing it in the cleave. Like my whole family and my dad's brother would come in with his family and my dad's parents were coming in. Did that for like 20 years or whatever it was. But those were some big-ass turkeys back in the day. Take up the whole damn of them. And then as I start to do this show, it's like, hey, man, Oh dear. Uh I gotta I gotta do this real quick. Gotta give out the hotline number. The internet went out for my next guess. Don't want that to happen. Here we go. Send that on. Here we go. But these things took it up. And then doing this show, people were like, 20 pound Turk? F that. 12 pounds. Cook cook a, a pair of 12 pounders. It'll give you a better end product. A mom right now, dial me up. 30 pounder one year. 30 pounds. Fat, fat, fat. 30 pounds. That's 15 pounds short of the biggest one that George was just talking about. God damn. Big ass turkeys. Now that's out. Like nobody wants that. All right. The bad Jew is getting ready to call in, or maybe she'll jump in through the internet, depending on what trouble she's having. This could be one of the rare first hours. I'll talk to you quickly about B&B while we get that sorted out. B&B charcoal is one of the best brands out there right now. A lot of other brands, big brands with big names, all that. But George Motes is right. He's talking about the quality of charcoal these days. A few reach the pinnacle of product and process and the fervent followers that B&B has generated over the last many handful of years. So they have the lump charcoal, of course, which I'm a personal fan of. Unless I'm going to cook overnight on one of my charcoal-driven cookers, then I will go charcoal briquette. Because as I was telling you about last week, it's 
way more consistent. You can count on if you start with this many, it's going to give you this kind of heat. If you add five or six, you're just quickly adding a measure of heat. Now, if you want to go more on the hot end, searing steaks, or you know it's not going to be that long of a cook, maybe 30, 45 minutes or so, lump charcoal. I like the way it burns. I like the fact that it hardly ashes. It's very efficient when it burns. Gives a nice little flavor. Nothing over the top, for crying out loud. But that's my favorite. Now, every once in a while, as I was telling you about, when I'm running the offset, the stick burner, I will go char log from B&B. Not easy to find right now, which is fine. Keep an eye out. Ask your ace about char logs. Or to at least get on that back order list, if that's what they have to do. And then have them put your name on a list. Char logs are great to supplement the log throwing, if you will. I find it very nice to have char logs by my side when I'm running the lane. Keeps a nice coal bed. Not really adding any flavor. Let's my cherry wood do its magic. But I can add uh, two, three chunks of that char log. Keeps a nice coal bed for me. All right, we are back with Rebecca King right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And this portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. If you got them, visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase. You can also visit Amazon.com to purchase as well. It is CookinPellets.com. Signed up for next year already. Look at that. CB in the gang. Putting it work. Love it. All right, my next guest is making quite a successful run as a pop-up business in the City of Angels. However, it may or may not come as a shock to find out she's really a Buckeye and the Cleveland suburb-based Buckeye as well. So we race to the hotline and welcome in first-timer to the show, owner of The Bad Jew, Rebecca King joining me. Hey, Rebecca. Hi, how are you? I feel weird when I say that, but I should get over myself, right? <laughs> Hello? Hello, can you hear me? I can, can you hear me? Yes, All right. yeah, I can hear you now. Here we go. Now we're on fire. So we'll talk about the move to L.A. here in a second, Rebecca, but let, if we could, can we get a quick background about you and your time here in Cleveland? I am, of course, especially interested because this show based right here on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio, so I would wonder why anybody would want to go anywhere else. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, okay, so I grew up in Cleveland. I was born and raised there. Um and I went to Orange High School. I'm from the east side with all my fellow Jews. And um, I went to Orange High School. And then I went to Ohio University. And What? You know, I grew... Yeah, I went you to did? Ohio University. Uh, guess I what? I did. Bobcat, 1997, right here. 
How about that? Oh. Damn. We like went to I the same you. sports conference in high school. We went to the same college. Uh, Man, I knew it. I went. I have a tattoo on my butt <laughs> about OU, does actually. It, does it say muck? But, um, I'll t- I'll... Does it say muck Miami? Uh, no, it's the zip code with a smiley face and the zero. Okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Out of the lab. Um, no, it, it's, I, I love OU so much. And I still talk to all of my roommates. We have a group chat. We, it was an amazing four and a half years. Yeah. I did the five <laughs> myself. Yeah. Yeah. Most people do when they go to OU. So, yeah, so you uh, you get done with college, grew- and then do you uh, do you go back home, or do you immediately shoot out to the left side? Um, I went back home for a little while, and then I was in Chicago for four years, and then I came back home again for like six months, and then I moved to LA three years ago. Hmm. Now, yeah, and I I have spent uh, you know not a huge amount of time in Chicago, but I've been there let's say two or three times, and I don't really travel that much. But I love Chicago for any number of reasons. You know, from a food scene, it, it's trendy and happening. A lot of things are, are happening there. A lot of big people are there. Uh, did you, like, work a lot at food in there, or were you just there to, to live and experience life? Um, I, was, I did not start working food until professionally a year ago and not professionally about two years ago. So, no, I was there. I was working... Um, I was working in inside sales or for logistics company. And then I was working in commercial real estate and it was, it was amazing living there. I loved it, but I always felt like I wanted, I was always attracted to the food scene and I like loved all the bartenders, but no, I didn't, I didn't do anything with food there. Hmm. All right. So (laughs) you get back to Ohio and then you said you were there for like six months and then you blasted out. Yeah. So what, what was the, the drawing to LA? Did you have some people out there saying, Hey, Rebecca, come out here. There's like a whole vibe happening um, or what? Yeah. Something like that. Okay. So my parents went to UCLA and they lived in LA for 10 years. So, and my mom's family lives here. So I grew up visiting Los Angeles and we were always in Santa Monica. We'd come for like two weeks every year. So I have some family here, my grandmother, my aunt, and then I have all of my parents' college friends. And then I was working in commercial real estate in Chicago and I wasn't doing very well and my lease was up. So I called my um, my boss that I moved out here for. I called him and I said, he's my dad's old boss. And I said, Len, I need a job. I need a laptop and I need a desk. And I don't know when I'm coming, but I am. So just hold it for me. And he said, I'll give you a desk. That's it. And so I said, okay. Cool. So he gave me a job and I did commercial real estate for a little while out here until I fell into the food world. So how do you become attracted into the food? Like, I mean, commercial real estate is one thing. Uh, The guy that's actually coming on next hour, you know, says a lot of folks come out here. They don't really know what they want to do. So they just jump into real estate because they think it might be easy or they can be successful at it fairly quickly. But it's a, a rough game. It's hard to get licensed, blah, blah, blah. So in the midst of that, where do you find the passion for food and decide that's what you want to do? So I had a friend that took me to the Santa Monica Farmer's Market, and then I went to a restaurant called Rustic Canyon, and I noticed on the menu that they were listing all the farmers, and then when I went to the Farmer's Market, I thought, oh, okay, so like I can get the same produce that the restaurant has, and I could try to make it at home, and like, wouldn't that be a fun experiment? Um, my food came out 
okay. And it was, and I started like kind of reading cookbooks and like learning a little bit. And then I started, um, staging in restaurants in restaurants, which is French for, um, like intern. And so I was working for free in restaurants. Um, after like one day a week, I'd go after work and just turn on an apron and bug chefs to let me cook for them or cook with them. And I just did a lot of prep work and sometimes I'd be on the line and that's, I kind of did that for a little while. And then I started my own pop-up and then I worked in at other pop-ups too. So I could pay for my in between commission checks, et cetera. And I just fell in love with all the food stuff because it's so fun. Where's the barbecue come in? Where does that catch your fancy? Okay. So, um, a little over a year ago, um, last Labor Day, I bought a little smoker from Home Depot, a little offset. And I asked my butchers to help me. I wanted to do a little pig, a suckling pig and a brisket and chicken and salmon. I wanted to do everything. And they said they'd throw a party with me, but I guess they didn't take me seriously. Because when I bought everything, they're like, oh, we can't like, come to your party. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, like, who's going to teach you how to smoke meat? Are you kidding? I had all the, and I was freaking out. And so my roommate at the time, his name was Tyler. He was like, my friend Danny makes fire brisket. Reach out to him. I'm like, okay, whatever. So I reached out to Danny Gordon. He's from Flatpoint Barbecue. And I DM him on Instagram, 10,000 questions. And I'm like, hey, I'm having a party in two days and I don't know how to smoke meat, but I have a pig, I have salmon, I have chickens, I have a brisket and I don't know what I'm doing. You have to help me and you have to help me now. And <laughs> he like thought I was totally nuts, but he helped me and he taught me how to smoke meat via Instagram. And then, so after that party, I was, I asked him for a job and I said, let me work for you. And he's like, but do you have like a regular job? And I was like, yeah, but like I make my own hours, so... I want to work for you. So just let me do it. And he, he did, he gave me a job and we've been working together. I've been working for him for a year. And then within a couple of months of working with him, I started coming up with the idea of the bad Jew. I had like the name in my head. I had the logo in mind, but I didn't know what the concept would be. And then I was like, Oh my God, pork pastrami and I can smoke it. How fun. And then and then I was working, I was staging at a restaurant called Birdie G's under um, Chef Joel Spadafore. And he was making all these krauts and he was making corned beef one day. And I'm like, oh, corned pork, I can do this. And so I, between Danny and Joel, I learned how to brine and I learned how to pickle and I learned how to ferment. And then the bad Jew was born. By December, I was serving people off my front porch. And that's where, that's how it all started. Was, is the pork strami something that other people were doing? I mean, I, I like to think I'm pretty dialed in on a whole bunch of stuff, and I don't know if I've heard of anybody doing it to the level that you're doing it at. Is this kind of your baby? This is my baby. Yeah. I, th- I, I did not invent pork strami, I don't think. I mean, there's no way. Someone's had to brine a pork and pork shoulder and smoke it, you know, but I think I'm one of the first people to really... I mean, I don't really... Honestly, I don't know, but I've, I've only heard of it coming from the bad Jew. I've never seen anyone else sell it. I mean, I haven't been in barbecue for very long, you know? Um, so I, I, I don't want to say I'm the only one doing it, but I might be. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know anybody that's got it on their menu uh, uh, th- that is of any notoriety or that's, you know, pushing it out as like part and parcel of the whole pop-up experience like the bad Jew has going on. So uh, you know, yeah. not giving away any secrets or anything, but like, what's the process? And then how do you, 
serve uh, pork strami? Okay, so I brine the meat. So I get bone. I I I switch between bone in and boneless. I I think boneless is better if I'm cooking it to not 200 degrees and not pulling it and maybe I'll slice it. But I really only did that in the beginning. So I'm doing bone in and I brine it for a week. And with a ton of, I toast my spices and I do sugar, pink salt, salt, water, and I brine it for a week in the fridge. And then I um, do a little soak and then I rub it with the mustard and my rub and I let it dry out overnight with the rub on it. And then I smoke it for about 10 hours until it reaches like the sweet spot of like 200, 203 degrees. And, um, and I wrap it in foil at the seventh or eighth hour, depending on what my bark looks like. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And then I serve it on, okay. So people buy it by the pound or on, I have a sandwich called the Danny boy. So my, the bad Jew, it's like, essentially it started out as, um, it's like Jewish deli food, but bad. Cause it's not kosher. <laughs> Good, but Good not bad. bad. Right. Um, and so, and so it's, um, but I've also like, I made, I made sandwiches for friends today. I had some leftover pork strami and I did a really delicious sandwich on a baguette with, um, sour cherry jam and, spicy jardinera and greens and shaved manchango cheese. And it was delicious. So people, what I, I've been doing a lot of, um, I've been doing a lot of pop-ups with, to show how versatile the pork strami is. So yes, it can be on like a Jewish deli style sandwich, or it can be on a farmer's market forward sandwich, or you can like put it in ravioli if you want, you know, like you can do whatever you want with it. When people buy it by the pound, oftentimes they're just, they're making these beautiful dishes at home and they're showing me. And like, I love seeing that. I, I love that. Rebecca King, the bad Jew but, joining me here on the show. The bad Jew LA.com is the website. <laughs> so like, you know, you've been the bad Jew now for you know, coming up on a year or maybe it's like right around a year since we just broached into December here today. Um, yeah, I have become increasingly interested in pop-ups. It certainly it's, not a new concept by any stretch, but I was interviewing Rodney Scott a couple weeks ago, who was a whole hog uh, master down there in South Carolina. And he did, uh, so when he was running his parents' place, the whole pit room burned down to the fucking ground, like to nothing. And he did a Rodney Scott in exile tour. And within 18 days, he raised $80,000 and went back home and rebuilt the whole pit room and all this other stuff. I have no idea realistically what that number means so as somebody who does pop-ups you know regularly to kind of live is there an opportunity to make uh really good money and doing something that you are really passionate about at the same time absolutely i mean there are so many pop-ups in la and people are so into i mean there's pop-ups around the country right and people are so into supporting small business and i mean you don't have a ton of overhead because you're not like not all of your money is going towards rent, but there's definitely an opportunity to make a living here. I mean, I'm doing it. All my, all my friends are doing it. Like there's, um, you just have to work really hard. It, I mean, I'm having the time of my life. I'm having so much fun, but I like cry once a week too, because I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so tired. I can't think of that. But 
you just have to work your ass off and you have to like, you have to be willing to wake up at four in the morning to smoke meat and you have to just, you have to really push yourself and do things you're not used to doing to make it work. And I think, I don't think that's just for pop-ups that's, I'm that's for restaurants and anything you're passionate about, anything that you're getting started. So yeah, if you work really hard and you, um, you look at your numbers and you just, you make sure you're making money. I mean, there's definitely a way to do it. Not, I mean, I haven't made a ton of money yet, but I, I plan to. What's the end goal, Rebecca? What do you want to do? You want to open the bad Jew brick and mortar? Do you want to just have multiple mobile situations? What's the deal? Okay. So every, people keep asking me that. And I, I would love to have an old school. I would love to have an old school diner or a deli with like the leather seats and the deli case and all of my crowds and different types of pastrami's. But I think my, my bigger goal, my, what I really want to do, I want to do wholesale. I want, I want Kroger to be carrying pork pastrami. I want it. I, I want to be everywhere. You know, I, I think that I have an amazing product and it's extremely versatile. And I think I would love people in Cleveland to be able to eat it. And I'd love people in Texas to be able to eat it. Um, so I'm just in the next year, two, three, whatever. I have obviously, I don't come from wholesale meat, so I have a lot of work to do, but that's what I want to learn. And I want to, I want to, that's what I want to get into. And then, for fun and you know i'd love to open up a little deli hopefully people can dine in again um i would love that i think it would be amazing i would have great music playing and good food dancing people being happy eating my pastrami like that's yeah that's all i want had you known that covid was coming just literally months after you officially got going last december do you think that you would have waited or, you know, tried some other concept or did it really not matter? You now had the passion and regardless of what health climate we find ourselves in now, eight months later, this was something that you were going to be doing no matter what. This is something I'm going to be doing no matter what. Hmm. Like, and I think, I mean, I don't know. I all seeing the COVID stuff has been hard and it's been it's been hard on a lot of my friends, but at the same time, people are getting creative and there's this like family energy that's going around. Everyone wants to help each other. Everyone's trying to get creative. And it's honestly the COVID thing. Yeah. It fucking sucks, but it's also been super beautiful to be a part of and to be able to make friends and to push each other and to keep going and to work even harder through all this. I don't know. It's been really inspirational to be doing this with a lot of other people and having all this kind of support and also seeing the support of the community, people that aren't in the industry that just, but they, they're wanting to support small business and, you know, Oh, it's been, it's been, it's been good in a way. We are talking with Rebecca King. She is the owner of the bad Jew and you can find her at the bad She's also a Buckeye, also a Bobcat, and I'm excited to have her here for the first time. Rebecca, thanks so much for a great first interview. Continued success. Thank you so much. This is awesome. You got it. There she is, Rebecca King. 
The bad Jew, right there. If you didn't know who the bad Jew was, it's Rebecca. She's the bad Jew. All right. I had no idea she was a Buckeye. Or uh, she was a Bobcat. As I'd said before, I knew she was an Eastsider. By the way, she made a very broad stroke Eastside with all my other Jewish friends. I mean, not everybody that lives on the Eastside. There just happen to be two really big pockets. Beachwood, Orange, whatever. Shaker. That doesn't mean everybody. Come on. Talk. Alright, that was Rebecca King. Let me talk to you quickly about Southside Mark and Barbecue before we get ready for the second hour. Established in 1882. The oldest barbecue joint in Texas. Owned and operated by the same family for three generations. Offering premium Central Texas barbecue products. Shipping nationwide through FedEx and food service distribution channels like Cisco, U.S. Foods, and Barton Foods. Co-packaging capable from research and development to package completion. They can follow your recipe or help you develop something brand new. Private label opportunities also available. SouthsideMarket.com is a place to go to shop online. And you can save 10% on your online order with promo code BBQ Central. All one word and lowercase BBQ Central. For 10% off all your orders at southsidemarket.com each and every time you go. We're back to wrap the first hour right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content. In an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. All right, welcome back, and we thank Rebecca King for joining me last segment. This portion brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. You can connect through Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or the Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant, or maybe you're going to get one for Christmas, you're in luck. Fireboard fully integrated with both. Find out more about the Fireboard 2 and Fireboard 2 Drive and Fireboard 2 Thermocouple Edition by going to fireboard.com. Or call 816-945-2232. That's 816-945-2232. Rebecca King just emailing me back. Thank you so much. Can't believe the internet went out. We were ready to go video. I wore glitter for you. You know, if I had a dollar for every time, the ladies said that to me. Uh, I would have uh, exactly one dollar. <laughs> All right, so if you're in the L.A. area and you want to try pork strami, and there are a couple different locations, if you go to her website, it's got like the whole pop-up schedule and stuff. So um, I would love to get out there and try pork strami. That Rebecca sandwich looks great, and the Danny Boy she had mentioned looks great. Plus, there's other stuff she does uh, with some of the restaurants that she's partnering with. Very unique. And a go-getter out there. She said, hey, COVID or not, this thing was going to happen. And in some respects, COVID, actually kind of a beautiful thing. Great perspective right there. All right, we are pointing to the second hour. Sam the Cooking Guy is going to be in. We have plenty to talk about. Maybe he's been up to L.A. and had some of the bad Jews' food. 
I will talk to Sam about that, amongst other things. Top of the second hour is coming up. Stick around. We'll be right back.